Welcome to Newport Rugby's Quiet Hour Podcast. Now, here's your host, Andrew Kelly. G'day, welcome to Newport Rugby's Quiet Hour. If Newport Rugby had a king, it'd be Doug O'Neill. And if they had a prince, it'd be Jimmy Cranston, who joins us today. How are you, Jimmy? Good, thank you. Good to be here. So tell us when you started playing rugby, what year, how long you played for, just to give us a sense of where you fit in the timeline of Newport Rugby's 40-year history. I think it was around 1986. I was a junior in high school and good friends with Jamie Kerwin. And I'm sure you've heard about Gary and Jay. Yes. Um, uncle and father. Yeah. Gary was the father. Jay, Jay was the um, uncle. We did plumbing for Jamie's father, Gary, down onshore. And at that time, the uh, I was only, I only played football. I had only played football. I'd never seen rugby. I might've heard about it, but never seen it, never seen it played. At that time, the Newport Rugby Club was struggling with players. They had a group of older guys that were just basically holding it together. Andy Bann was the captain, and he was trying to keep the team together. And at that time, they were traveling. Same schedule that we have now, but back then, two games were mandatory. So they were struggling. They were in a rough spot. And so one night, Gary was out looking for his brother, Jay, and he ran into Andrew Bann and Cheek and Billy and those guys down the IA. He was talk- they were talking about struggling going to Boston the next day to play rugby. And somehow, Gary said, hey, I got a football player that works for me. And Andrew Bean yelled and screamed at him. The next morning I go to work, he would, I would literally move like, me and Jamie would move like 40 toilets by hand to like different rooms in a, in a, a condominium onshore. Um, they were timeshares. And Gary said, hey, you want to go play rugby? And I said, absolutely not. And he says, well, the team's going to Boston. They could use a couple of players. And I said, no, I'm all set with rugby. Why? I just had no idea what it was. And he goes, well, do you own cleats? And I said, yeah, I got football cleats. And he goes, well, go, go, go home, get your cleats, get your shorts. And go down to the Hibernian Hall. I'll pay you for half a day. So that's what I did. And I went down. So I went and played my first. Me and Jamie went and played our first game. Uh, he was a senior. I was a junior. And we went to Boston. And it was quite an experience. Who did you play? I think we just played regular Boston. I For the first 45 minutes, I thought this was the stupidest thing I have ever decided to do. You know, I'm I'm a football player. I never, ever touched. I never touched the ball unless it was a fumble or if I got an interception at linebacker. Which was, which was, you know, not too often, you know, a couple of fumbles a season, a couple of interceptions a season. But when we're warming up up in Boston, everyone keeps throwing me the ball. And I'm like, this is weird, you know? And uh, I'm used to seeing like, like a Rob Henry, Mark Manchester, you know, Robbie Jenkins type athletes. And I got, I got Andy Bannon and Doug throwing me a ball. And I'm like, this is crazy. And I'm passing it out to Wick and Bing. This is not what I'm used to. I thought it was going to be a disaster. What did they say before the game? Absolutely nothing. They just, Andy Bannon was the captain and he was so assuring I was going to be okay. He just said, don't worry about it. Just go out there and play. We'll take care of it. And that's what he said. I remember right off the bat, I had thrown a block. And if it was on the football field, it would have been, it would have been a great block. <laughs> but, you know, the guy jumped up off the ground and punched me square in the head. And, you know, my instinct was to stop fighting back. And it was funny because the whole team was behind me. And Andy Bannon was just yelling, he doesn't know any better. And it went on from there. It was, it was a great experience. And it was, uh, a lot of fun. And usually the thing that's enticing for rugby, especially people that are new, is the drink up. Do you remember the, the drink up after the game? Yes. They shoved me in a corner and they said, just stand there and we'll take care of you. Because how old? Junior. Junior. I think I was 16, 17. Not 21. Not 21. <laughs> and they just shoved me in a corner. And uh, we had went to the game in, in Jim Sheiky's van. The most impressive part was seeing a scrum down. I had never seen a scrum down and we had such, we were, we were so, so lack of players. We you know we, we had 15. That was it. You know, two guys had never played before. We had no subs. We actually played two full games and you know, the scrum down was incredible. Where'd you play? 
I, it's in Boston. I just don't remember. No, no, what position? Did I play that game? Yeah. I was outside center. I was outside center. Do you remember scoring? I can't remember that, but I remember like, uh, you know, it was funny. You know, you had guys like Harry Oakley who would crash through the middle and you would just say, wow, that, that guy's incredible. You know, then then as the, as the as the season got going, you had Tim Champion who taught you how to go half speed and how to turn it on. It was there was there was a lot of key people that kept that club together. It was always the old group, hardcore, but you always had an influx of different players that would come in and make a difference. You know, like Owen was huge when he came in. You know, he he took the backfield over. You know, he's like, this is mine. You know, and he taught us so much. The young guys taught us a lot about about the game. But with the young guys, you mentioned you and Jamie were first. You brought others in as well. Yeah. Once I once I got once I get instantly hooked, the older guys being, you know, smarter, not, you know, smarter in life, they invested in me. They immediately threw me on the board and, had, you know, had me buy into the club. And I had, there was a group of my friends and fellow football athletes that played football every Sunday. And I would go play football on Sunday with them. Immediately, I knew that these guys beat the club. And slowly, I got them out of the football and over to rugby. Again, you know, now we got the old core, old guys that are holding the club together. Mm-hmm. And the old guys are actually thriving now because they see these the, the youth coming in. It kept those guys around a little bit more. It kept them, it kept them getting more competitive in play. And then things just kept falling into place. Owen comes in. Then you were the next. You came in. And then even along with all that, you know, Mike Trainer was so instrumental to the club. He came in and we were like, all right, Andrew, you're our captain coach, but you're the best player on the team. It's time for you to be the best player and be the captain now. Now we got Trainer coming in to be the coach. And that helped because of Trainer's age. You know, he was an older guy. Like everyone respected you, but you were like our drinking partner. You know, we have Mike Trainer now that's coming in. He's... Some of the guys, he was almost like a father to you too. Very much. Right? And he was their first real coach. Not that you weren't a real coach, but he came in with the coach gear, you know. The clipboard, the whistle. The clipboard, the whistle, and yelling and screaming. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, all these different people that came in at the right time was really instrumental for the club. And Mike was instrumental to the club. You mentioned Mark Manchester. Who were some of the other guys you brought over? You know, right off the bat, the key guys, you know, uh, Mark Manchester, Chris Gray, the Gordettes. All three Gordettes played at one time. Um, just to get three three family members from one, you know, it, it's it, three guys for the rugby club, big, good players like that. Chris Gordette became a, uh, a starting prop, but he was good all, all over the place. He could play forward, wing uh, forward. He could play in the backfield. Mike was Mike. He was the strongest, biggest, and for his size, he was extremely fast. I mean, when he applied himself, he was a force. What was your sales pitch to them? Just give it a try. Come check it out. I, I've never led you wrong. You guys are really going to. And then they, you know, it really took took off. It took one game. Every single person that I told that played one game never left. Were you selective in who you invited? I actually was, but that wouldn't work. I would get Mark and Chris Gray, but they could just go tell anybody they wanted. And it wasn't a bad thing because the rugby guys could pick and choose who who would fit in and who wouldn't. That wasn't my my thing. I just everyone was welcomed, and it was going to sort itself out. Yeah, rugby on the field and off the field, it has a very good filter. Yeah. That it weeds out some of those that probably, probably aren't well suited to the game. You know, in my 20, almost 25 years of rugby, we've probably only had to shoot one or two guys away, I would think, the most, you know? And it's definitely not just on the field and playing. There's the, No, it's how you hold yourself as yeah. a character wearing the yeah. wearing the gear. On and off the yes. field. Yes. You know, you, you, can't, you can't walk around with a Newport rugby sweatshirt and, you know, be a, be a, be a nuisance in a bar or, you know... Something like that. It ends very quickly. Otherwise, yeah. 
And so we've had many, many good recruits over the years. Like to me, based on what you just said, like you're the most and will always be the most uh, influential and successful recruit because you join that first generation, that the Dugs, the Andy Beans, to the second generation that within reason, without Mr. Kerwin telling you like, hey, you're playing tomorrow, the club may not be where it is now because you see a lot of that. The first generation just doesn't move to the next generation and it's gone. So thank you oh. for, for, for that vision. You know, I got to thank the rugby club. They've done a lot for me. It's very much works both ways. Yeah, absolutely. And some of the, the opponents that you recall from a from a team standpoint, like who, who are the tougher battles or the, the memorable battles that you've had against clubs? Newport rugby's they weren't always successful on the field, but we did have some we did have a lot of success through my time playing. You know, we went to the national championship, mm-hmm. the final four, one came in, we came in third place, you know, won New England's quite quite a few times. No matter what team Newport put on the field. They were always tough. If we had 15 guys and were playing 15 on the field and the other team had 20 waiting for the second game, we still always stayed competitive. Why? It was just a fight in, in, in the in the guys. You weren't going to – it's 30 nothing, and you still – Jim Sheiky and Andy Bean up in the front row and Billy Bean weren't, weren't going to just let you push them. So opponents, I mean, we had some bloodbaths with – Providence, Boston, Worcester, Portland. I mean, we couldn't go out. We couldn't even we couldn't even get almost get a kickoff against Montauk before a fight would happen. But yet, with that being said, there has never been a team that after the game that we enjoyed to drink up with. And I found that very unique in rugby. It took me a while to get over that. There's a three on three fight on the field and you're really fighting like, you know, you, you, you want to keep it going. But you know it's a sport and you step foot into the bar and it's completely over. Like you actually respect that guy. And I think that that's the key word to it, respect. The teams you mentioned at the time, their first division clubs, teams, the Providences and the Bostons, where I'm assuming the score wasn't flattering, but you came to play and played hard up until the final whistle. And yeah, as a rugby player, you respect that. And the score goes out the window. It, it does. And it's funny too, like if you... um like at when we would host the New England tournaments and you're on the sideline waiting for waiting for a game to ha- you're about to go into you'll see guys from the, uh, from from Boston that you were just fighting with 2 weeks ago on the sideline they're playing you know in two more hours they're actually clapping and cheering and I was like, really? Oh, we got to go support Boston. You never thought you would be rooting for Boston, to, you know, to, to beat a team that you might not play as many times and have that relationship with. And then on the field, who were some of the, I'm not saying, let's say just good players, but who did you enjoy playing with? Oh, I have to say you, Andrew. Oh, you you. You, 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 were, you were great for the club. You were always the best one on the team when I, when I on any team I played on. Mark Manchester, he was, you know, we, we he had been the quarterback from, any football team I had played on for years. So we kind of knew, we, we, we kind of knew where each other would be on the field. Rob Henry. I mean, he's, I guess he would be their Tim champion, the, the older that guys. Era. Yeah. You know, they were like the all world players. Rob Henry could play any position, just like Tim champion could play any position. And then there's Owen. I mean, Owen really came in and taught us, taught the backs how to be backs. Those are key guys. And then looking at the sidelines, who along the sidelines uh, jumps out at you for, from one of the, um, the old boys. Well, the old boys, you always saw every home game, Mr. Ben and Frank Kerwin. I mean, always. You would see Jay Kerwin all the time. You would see Gary Kerwin all the time. Vocal, Chicky Murphy by far. He was the all-time Newport Rugby cheerleader. The 16th man? Yes. And he was great. Yeah, it's good to have that support on the sideline. Absolutely. I mean, it would be 60 nothing, and Chicky still screaming at you, get up and keep going. And no, it was just a class act. So given the length of time you've been with the club, I'm sure you've been on a lot of tours. What are some of the more memorable tours? Well, if you like, you know, Andrew, there's never been a bad tour. 
Yeah, the only problem with the tour is the rugby gets in the way. The rugby gets in the way. So, unfortunately, I've never been on a rugby tour where we didn't have to play. What was your first tour? Uh, first tour, I think, was Nova Scotia. They, and then, then it was Bermuda, right? Correct. Yeah, I remember Bermuda very well. I think I'd been here for maybe three to four weeks. And for some reason at the time, I had the assignment that I had to basically chaperone you from the hall to the hotel in Bermuda. And I think we had maybe a seven o'clock in the morning flight. And so I really didn't understand, got to the airport, like everything good, Jim, yeah, and then lost you. And then probably found you about half an hour later. You were sitting in a barber chair with a bottle of Jameson getting a number one cut. And so at that time, I realized, number one, I'd failed at my job, but why I was given that job. <laughs> yep, that was quite a trip. What do you recall of that trip? We actually won. We won on tour. <laughs> Which doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen very often. But I was going to say, best tour was the trip to the Final Four. To Pittsburgh? To Pittsburgh. It was a disaster to start with. We went a day early, so that we'd be in good shape. We could get right from the hotel to the field. That never happened. There was a storm. There was a problem with the plane. We didn't get there. Some guys got there early in the morning. But when you were on the field playing and you looked over, 72 guys from Newport went. It was incredible. Went there to support the team. And I thought that was really just showed what Newport Rugby had became. And the past players and the people that followed us and were family members all made that trip. That was really cool. Yeah, and I find it interesting that that's your favorite tour because I'm assuming it wasn't that fun. (laughs) In totality, when you look at like, we're going to Florida, we're going to New Orleans. We didn't do anything in, in Pittsburgh. You know, we stayed at the hotel, went to the field, played, went back, stayed in the hotel, stayed in the parking lot, and then came home. There was no itin- there was no good itinerary. There was no, nothing, you know, no going to tiki bars on the beaches. But it was just the commodity of, of the town and, and, and the club was really at one of its highest points. Do you think you realized that before that or that was the first time that that kind of came to, to the forefront of like, wow. This is pretty amazing. It, it, it really was when I, things were going so fast, problem at the airport and, and getting, getting, ended up getting to the field. We didn't, it, it didn't really hit you. It really hit me when I was on the field and I looked over at the sideline and, you know, we had came to a far distance and our section was filled with, with, with spectators, all in rugby, you know, apparel, just, you know, screaming. And it was like, wow, this is, this is wild. We brought our own fans to Pittsburgh, to Pittsburgh. That's amazing. Yeah. And back to Bermuda, my recollections of Bermuda is like the hotel we stayed at. Let's say the the guests of the hotel weren't thrilled with our behavior or lack thereof during that stay. And so at the end of the tour, unbeknownst to us, they threw a party for the guests, almost like as an apology. But what didn't they count on? Four of us showing up. Because you stayed an extra day. Yeah, because the flights got screwed up. We had to stay. Four of us had to stay an extra day. <laughs> Who were the four? It was me, Jamie Kerwin. Kent Malkovich and Fred. It's a pretty good combination. Yes. So our, our stay at the hotel was over. So we had nowhere to go. So we had to go to, we had to go find a new hotel. So we packed our stuff up, walked down the road. And the guy says, yeah, we got a plot for you guys for the night. So we, we gave him the credit card and we had our place. We say, hey, well, let's go back to Rip Sip and Dip because we know the spot. So we're walking in and the guy, the, guy, the manager is like, well, they're gone. And we just wanted to apologize and Throw some complimentary herbs <laughs> and drinks to you guys for putting up with the rugby club. And we come walking out. We're like, well, four of us are still here. The guy, the guy didn't know what to do. <laughs> That's yeah. memorable. Good stuff. Yeah. Well done. Thank you for flying the flag. <laughs> what other tours? Uh, then Ireland. Ireland was 
by far a real rugby tournament uh, going, you know, going to Ireland where they take the rugby to the next next level. They're, it's, they're all business when it comes to rugby. And we actually took a great team to Ireland. You know, we had some of the Australian, yourself, Owen. We went with a legit team. That was a lot of fun. They played us tough, but we played tough. And uh, I can remember, I think Scott Donahue was our captain. I can remember after the game, the game was so physical and there was a lot of uh, fisticuffs. I remember him jumping on the bus saying, all right, guys, let's get out of here. We weren't even going into the clubhouse to drink. We were just getting, we were taken off. And the uh, captain of the of Conteo came on the bus and he goes, you're screwing everything up, guys. You get the first hot showers. Let's go. And we're looking at him like, really? And we went and showered and we went in and, you know, we had a nice meal and we drank and we went out that night. They took us out and that was, that was wild. What is it that you find most enjoyable from rugby? And when I say rugby, like the total package, because you're you're talking about a lot of things in terms of respect, tradition, and you're relatively late to the game in terms of when you started playing. But what are the things that really define, I mean, you mentioned about the the support you're getting from the rugby club. I guess it's, I guess it was a continuation of my, of of playing football at Rogers High School. That was a a tradition that you, you, you bought into, you know, it was back then it was, it was Mr. Topa's way or the highway, whether he was right, wrong, you signed up for it, you know, and everyone, everyone on the team was on the same page. I found that with rugby. You were part of a family, you were part of a team, you stuck together on and off the field, like we did, you know, um, through my years at Rogers football. For a lot of guys, once you step foot out of, out of the last game of football, it's over. You don't ever have that again. So rugby was there as long as you wanted it. And I've always thought, unless you play high school, college, or the pros, like there's no real club sport or ongoing sport. And so unbeknown to you, you find this, I guess, the next stage from football, correct, which was rugby. And so you'd never heard of Newport rugby really before? The only thing I've ever heard from from Newport rugby was when I started working with Gary Kerwin and Jay. Gary was the plumber. Jay was electrician. And they just had so much pride. And you poor rugby. And that's all they talked to me about. And they both followed football. So like, you know, Jay'd be like, oh, that was a great game the other night. I remember when rugby and I would just look at him like, but yeah, I'd never, never even seen a play. And were they trying to recruit you before that, that fateful Saturday? No, no. They never, ever said anything about me playing rugby. They knew it was, I was all football. And the timing was perfect. Like showing up to work on that Saturday, just whether the uh, the moon's aligned or whatever, yeah. it was just the right timing. You said that they put you on the EC yes. early on. What were your roles at the EC over the journey? You know, not really being able to do much being in high school. They made me a director at large. And it was simple stuff like, um, you got to get the Porter Johns for the, for the tournament this week. Or I want you to, uh, you know, get five guys to set up the field for the tournament. You know, simple little task that made me go get some of my friends to come help me. That was going to buy them into the into the thing. So the older guys knew what they were doing. They were they were investing they were investing in me to invest back in the team and, and keep it going. Did you realize that at the time? Absolutely that- not. Absolutely not. It's a very, uh, very smart way of doing it. And it's, to me, obviously it's for the club, but also it's for your personal development. Absolutely. As well. 100%. I mean, to this day, I'm, I'm, I, I was 16 years old hanging out with guys in their thirties and I still are great friends with them today. I mean, the club didn't produce anybody that wasn't good character, you know? So I was, I was very, very lucky. As are 
all of us that to have that that experience because uh, I can speak personally, but also I can speak on behalf of a lot of other people. They feel exactly the same way. There's just a, a bond, a connection right. that you can't explain. You can't train for it. You can't practice it. It's there or it's not there. It must be like being a Marine, you know, like how they act when they get together and they haven't seen each other, you know? You, you play rugby with somebody, you don't see him for 30 years, you bump into him, it's like you were played yesterday, you played with him yesterday. You know, it's it's hard to explain to someone that hasn't, hasn't done it. But it's easy to relate to somebody who's done it. Like they know exactly what you're talking about. Completely. Right. Yeah, completely. And what other roles did you serve on the EC? I was director. I was uh, director at large for a long time. I was a vice president for a very long time. And then I became president. And then I was past president for a while. How long were you president for? I think one year. Do you recall? I, I mean, uh, two years. Two years. Do you recall any uh, major initiatives that that you brought to the table? No, I kind of, I kind of went in with just. I have learned. I learned from all the EC members. You know, there, there was there really weren't any bad members. So I just kind of used what I learned just to keep it going. I didn't go in like this is this is what we're doing this year because it didn't work like that. You wouldn't you would you wouldn't be president for all. And I had the uh, the pleasure, maybe, or distinction to uh, live with you at a period of time at an apartment on West Extension, a house on West Extension that I think was referred to as the University of West Extension. That's what it was referred to. Uh, given the the uh, the centre of educational and brainpower excellence that it was. I know you're not overly political within the rugby club, but I do recall typically on a Sunday evening after, let's say, some some Mardi Gras activity that you would come home and you would make some decisions on how you believe the EC should be reshuffled and you'd do that via phone calls. Yes, I remember that. Well, a lot of times the newer guys I brought out to the club were very, very into the the club, but yet they didn't want to, uh, they would rather complain be on the EC. So I was kind of the, the liaison from the new guys to the to the existing board. And a lot of things, you know, the new guys wanted were maybe like flashier uniforms or the way we did things. And guys on the EC would be like, no, 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 no. And I was kind of trying to be the shakeup guy. But when I say that at the bottom at the, at the end of the day, the guys on the EC knew what they were doing. And we we always worked things out. And they would bend in areas where they could. And at the end of the day, everyone was happy. You can't please everybody. Completely. But just back to the Sunday nights, you would call people and fire them from the EC. Yes. Is that accurate? That's accurate. I didn't mind calling it. But no one could fire anybody from the EC. So that's what I thought. But apparently you'd do that every Sunday. Right. But we we always we fixed that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yep. Just like a rugby game. What happens on the field? Right. Doesn't also always translate to what happens off the field. A lot of times, guys would see my number come up and decide not the answer to on Sundays. It's probably a wise decision, <laughs> right? If they saw it on a Monday, they pick up, but on a Sunday, I think they let it go to the machine. You mentioned that one of the first person that passed your ball was Doug O'Neill. From what I've observed over the years, you two were as thick as thieves, brother and brother, father and son, whatever you want to call it. What What do you want, want to say about Doug and your relationship with Doug? Uh, we know Doug's Doug, but um, you know, probably like 25 years older than me. And when I started out with the club, Doug kind of took me under his wing. He didn't. He didn't really spend a lot of time talking to me about rugby, rugby itself, the game. You know, he, he cared more about me off the field, you know, like how I act and how I conduct myself, you know, at, at different events, whether it's rugby events or not. So he really, he really looked after me and uh, 
We, yeah, we definitely became good buds. So he would, to a degree, pull you aside and say, that's not cool? Uh, yeah. You know, in his own special... In, in his own special Doug way. You with know? a habitat with... Yeah, with yes. <laughs> and, you know, you know, Doug, he's about class, you know, and he's a well-respected guy, no matter where you go with him. I had a lot of fun with him. Still do. What are some of the uh, the road trips? I know Doug's famous for a road trip, whether it's finding the Asonid Inn or, or other. Any uh, any road trips with Doug that that are audible for the audience? Uh, no, just the Asonid Inn was one of my favorite trips with him. Going up there, getting something to eat in the middle of nowhere. You know, the whole place knew him. You know, it was pretty 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 impressive. Yeah, Doug's definitely America's guest. Every time you walk into a bar, right. Doug's been there at some point and, and knows the clientele. So that was your relationship with Doug at that level. What was it like? on the field that's uh, you know not much different Andrew you know he he always had my back and you know Doug's playing rug, rugby ability was he got the same thing from him every game he wasn't really a ball he never really touched the ball he was just completely strong prop you know he couldn't move him you know and he would he got to the next play and he was ready to go like granite yes I always found being in a front row or at a scrum half with him that hit the initial I, I felt for the opposition right. yeah you also talked about your first game playing inside center. That's not where you landed. What position did you play predominantly? Flanker, wing forward. You enjoyed that? Yes. The contact and the... Yes. I, I enjoyed the backfield as well. But, you know, I as we got younger backs, you know, I didn't have the speed like those guys had. So you just, you know, the old saying, the, the slower and heavier you get, the closer you move in. The lower the number in your shirt gets. Gets, yes. And from my perspective, you were one of, if not the toughest players I've ever played. Thankfully, with, not against. And your ability to, to lead by example, to me, it was always the stuff that you were doing on the field and your intensity was akin to you know that's who you follow into a, a burning house to rescue someone so that, that's something that always stood out to me thank you now your um your son riley very good hockey player very good lacrosse player didn't play rugby did you have any influence on that in terms of playing or not playing yes i strictly kept him away from the game why and this is the only reason i did not want rugby to interfere with his high school sports okay he was a uh, captain of his football team, lacrosse team, and hockey team. And he enjoyed everything about Rogers and his team, where I knew the rugby club was in good hands. It wasn't going anywhere. There's plenty, plenty, plenty of time for him to enjoy what I had. So I was just letting him do his thing, and he's doing it. And now he plays lacrosse at school, at, in college, and he loves doing that. And the, the Newport rugby team's not going anywhere. So we'll be there when he's done with lacrosse. And then it's, he can have at it. I think that was a pretty good decision. And you've made that decision based on what happened to you. Correct. I mean, like he might have so much fun at Newport Rugby, like I did, where he might want, might not want to go finish any other thing. So he can go do his thing up in Boston. And when he's done with that, he can move on to the next chapter if he chooses to. Let's say you were to sit down with Riley or someone else that let's say you're recruiting at a bar and someone's like, hey, I'm thinking about playing rugby. What do you think? What are you going to say to, to that person or to Riley? Like, why play rugby? There's so many reasons to play. So say it's not Riley. Anytime a kid, a young kid comes up and says, hey, I'm thinking about, you know, I'll, I'll go into somewhere with a rugby shirt on. And they go, oh, I'm thinking about playing for that team. I say, you ought to give it a shot. You ought to go check out a game first. Go watch a game. Go to a practice, get involved, and you'll be hooked. You'll never look back, even if you're not good. Yeah, it's a great equalizer. Yeah, you'll have a great group of friends. You'll, you'll, be, you'll have a place to fit in. And Newport, welcomes, Newport Rugby is very welcoming to all. Completely. So we talked at the beginning that you started in 86. When did you finish playing rugby? Um, maybe like 2006, 7. 
it was perfect timing. You know, you don't have it anymore. I was getting there. And 20 years is a long time. Yeah. So I just really just, I couldn't, you know, I was missing tackles that I wouldn't necessarily miss. The biggest thing was when, when I was getting hit, I was really feeling it. Um, it was taking me longer to recover my body, but it was also perfect timing for me because my son Riley had just became about six years old, five years old. And I was, the club was in great shape, had tons of players. And I was like, this is it. This is my time. I was able to go. And the, 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 the hard, it wasn't so much the game. It was shutting myself off because just like you, when you got here, we won't even go before you. We'll start when, when you got here, me and you. Single, the only, only responsibility we had was a job, right? Seven to, seven to four. So we came home from work. We did rugby. We talked rugby. We thought rugby. Ordered, you were ordering jerseys online. We were getting ready for the meetings, trying to organize stuff, making sure, talking about making phone calls, trying to get everybody at practice because we knew we had a big game. Always shooting for something. All, not 24-7, we were rugby. And we, I did that for so long. And then just to shut myself off. I just, I'm out of here, guys. I'll see you when I'm done. And I literally just walked away from the team and the club and the sport. And I went on to like Coach Riley in different sports and just follow him. And my daughter, Alexandra, was right up behind him. And she was so active in sports. I just went away. But then all of a sudden, the kids didn't need me so much. And I came back wandering into the club. It was amazing. They were going to Worcester. And I remember calling Chris Gaudet. And I said, hey, Chris, now, you know you know what you're getting from Chris. Yo, cupcake, what do you want? What's up with the What's up with the trip to Worcester? Oh, yeah, now you want to go. Now you want to back in on the vans. I was like, yeah, I didn't think you had room. And he says, be down the hall for 10 o'clock, boy. And I was like, really? He goes, I'll make room for you. And I went down to the hall at 10 o'clock in the morning. It was like nothing, nothing ever changed. Everyone opened um, welcome me back and open arms it was like like i never left i was like this is incredible so the club like i said i gave my heart and soul to the club but yeah and it was so worth it because you know they gave their heart and soul right back to me so and it sounds what you've just talked about you're all in but you're very focused on what you're all in on you're not doing rugby doing riley sport doing doing alexandra sport it's like you know what i'm going to be all in on rugby or i'm going to be all in on the kids sport is that fair yes that's exactly that's exactly fair it's a good place to be. Yes. I mean, because, you know, I, I don't have any any regret, you know. And you mentioned um, the hits. Like, I recall you being injured quite a bit. Sometimes there'd be a plaster cast, but then you would take it upon yourself to, to let's say, make a medical decision on your behalf. Maybe a cast would come off a little early. A couple of times. Yeah. On a Friday night or something. Yes. <laughs> the scissors would come out. <laughs> Someone would hold it down and off came the cast and you're good to go for the next day. Yes. We put the cast on the next day, put it back on. <laughs> With a bit of tape. With a bit of tape. Well, uh, Jimmy Cranston, thank you for everything you've done for the club. As I mentioned, you came at a critical time. And as far as I'm concerned, I wouldn't be in Newport if it wasn't for you. And I, I'm sure there are so many others that feel the same way. For, so for everything that you've done, that you continue to do, that you'll do into the future, a cheers. And thank you for being part of Newport Rugby and want, our podcast. And I want to thank Newport Rugby for having me. And thank you for having me today. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Newport Rugby's Quiet Hour podcast. And there's more to come as we chat to the characters that define Newport Rugby. So you can be updated with future episodes, please subscribe wherever you receive your podcasts. And you can also listen to other shows already recorded in the series. Until next time, cheers to Newport Rugby.
You've been listening to Newport Rugby's Quiet Hour podcast. For more information on Newport Rugby, visit newportrugby.com.